0: Yo, yo, yo. There we go. Yeah. That is spirit of fear. You did appreciate you, Paul. You feel me? Elder Brown in the building, too. Somebody shout out Elder Brown. But uh, Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to cause, and the next day to Rose, and from there to Petara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. Somebody say seven days. And catch this through the Spirit. They were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Whoa, hold on. So here, first off, we got to understand that travel in this time isn't exactly like taking a flight or a bus, right? It's not a straight shot when you travel. You dig? These aren't... <laughs> you good? Everybody on the live stream? It's all love. We're trying to hook y'all up too so you can see the spirit. You feel me? But... Travel isn't the same for people, you know what I'm saying? It's not strategic stations where people are getting on and getting off. The route is actually more like shipping a package, amen? Anybody know UPS, USPS, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Stopping at random locations. Uh, Yes, this is how the disciples have to travel, and they're going where the Spirit leads them, not the easiest and most convenient route, I missed a chance to shout right there. I said it. Yeah. <laughs> They're going where the Spirit leads them. Not the easiest and most convenient route. Yeah, there we go. It's a an nonsense. But here we see the writer of Acts, Luke, with his intentional sharing of detail, pointing out that it was seven days at this location of foreshadowing a completion of time, right? And it's here where we start to see the text gives us a problem. It says through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Why? Like, how is this possible if they are believers and Paul is a believer? How is the Spirit saying two opposite things, apparently? Well, I don't know. Let's try to solve this problem by keep diving into Acts 21, 5. Through 15, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Totemites. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Catch this. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, somebody say Agabus, Agabus. came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, and bound, anybody had that belt put on you? And bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, we're going to pause right there. Now, this is tough, right? Before, it said they said through the Spirit, right, not to go on to Jerusalem. And what happens again? It seems it got worse. The problem got worse. They're telling him, don't go. Is Paul being disobedient at this point in time? These are questions that are going to start to pop up. Who is choosing the spirit and who is choosing fear? And sometimes it's not as black and white as we would like it to be. But once again, there's that sign of the seven, right? You got Philip, one of the seven. You got four unmarried daughters who are prophets and recognize it's crucial because women in this time to be recognized in Luke's writing. He's trying to repeat this theme of the spirit expanding, and they were completely devoted to ministry. They are most likely very influential leaders within their region. You know what I'm saying? So you got not only spiritual giants in the region agreeing with Agabus's prophecy, you got Luke writing that the people are urging him not to go on to Jerusalem. By this point in time, we got to ask, what does it mean to listen to the spirit listen to fear. And I think it's this turning point in the story and solution to this problem in verse 14 Acts 21 14 and since he would not be persuaded we ceased and said let the will of the Lord be done. Somebody say that let the will of the Lord mm, let the will of the Lord be done That's a tough dilemma. But the will of the Lord is always what the spirit points to. This is how we determine if we are walking by the spirit or by fear. And it's the same distinction that Paul made from all the other voices. The convenient and easy route, right, would be not to go on to Jerusalem. But we must understand the Spirit's job is to lead us into all truth, into counsel, to advocate. This spirit is not earlier in verse four when it says through the spirit. Actually, sometimes humans can have flawed interpretation and application of what the spirit says because of fear that we may feel we can parallel this with earlier in Acts entire. Tyre. It's actually a city in the region of Antioch where Christians first got scattered. Somebody say Antioch. Antioch. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 20. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. This is the same area in Acts chapter 21, verse 3, if you can throw that up, where it said, when he had come inside of Cyprus, leaving on the left, they sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, which is right near Antioch, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. So you got to know it was the same type of reason where they experienced persecution. So they're probably remembering that fear. And for my people who's visual, I had a little something to throw up, you feel me? Forgot the, the map, wall, you know what I'm saying? I always got to do this for God, you know what I'm saying? Other people they learn differently. <laughs> and hang on with you, If you tune in live, we'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> but so it's Miros said. cars, went to Rhodes, went to Patara. They saw Cyprus. They left it on the left, you feel me? And then they landed where? Antioch is in the same area as Tyre. It's all Syria. So these people, they're remembering. They're, they're bringing it back to memory. Yo, we remember what happened up here. You feel me? We know how this story will most likely end. This is not a good idea. It's how they're thinking. You feel me? You, you guys are seeing the connection here? And we see... Like, these people as well, it mentioned the Hellenists, they would have been the the Greek-speaking Jews, but still considered Gentile, not considered that that straight-up Jew. So, them being familiar with this persecution, they still had the Spirit. But it was still possible for them to function and speak out of fear, right? But the question is, Today, what will be your end goal? Will you walk in the spirit, in the will of the Lord, or fear? And so we're going to keep walking in this text to open up our eyes a little bit more with the second scene, second major scene in Acts 21, 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, all right, so pause in Jerusalem now, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Then they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed? They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men. Somebody say four men. Who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Okay, they got to shave their heads for this. Yeah, they want clean, Mr. Clean. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them okay so this is crazy right Paul he's back up in Jerusalem he's received gladly right this is enough to pause and praise God because this is a significant shift in the church at this time. Because Gentiles and Jews are constantly in conflict. They're trying to figure out how best to live in one another. And they know Paul has been a messenger to the Gentiles and they're glorifying God for this fruit that he's produced. But we've got to look also at a parallel account that the first time that somebody said to go to the Gentiles were received, wasn't the best. And that's in Acts chapter 11, one through three. We see Peter, when he went to Jerusalem, all the apostles and brothers were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had often received the word of God. So when Peter went out to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them, right? He was criticized for preaching to the Gentiles earlier. And now it's been brought to a place where Paul is received gladly. But with this contrast in the other account, it seems, right, that they're wanting Paul to still conform. Isn't that what it looks like? He says, y'all should, you should try to purify yourself because these people, they're going to be mad. So is Paul now walking in fear? It's a good question to start asking because if you remember Paul, from the other things Josh is talking in this series, he's the type of dude that's called out people like Peter for changing up, right? If you look in Galatians 2, if you can throw that on the screen real quick, 2.11, but when Cephas, and that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. right? So this is first like, is Paul switching up? What do we make of this? And the key word there is for fear of the circumcision group. But I mean, you could beg the question, maybe this isn't Paul's motivation, because we look at First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. We know Paul this is Paul speaking. that by all means I might say some. So maybe this is Paul, like, just legitimately trying to become all things, right? We could argue that just to win some of these Jews. Without a doubt, I bet Paul, though, would have felt afraid, don't you think? Knowing his previous encounters, and I'm sure James and the elders might think this plan could be some source of rescue for Paul. But the reality is Paul's actions wouldn't necessarily have been fully out of character. As we see, he sought to become all things to win some. So he knew going in, as the people told him back in Philip's crib, that this would, this would definitely be hell. He knew that. But something in his plan, as, as I was reading it, kind of struck me as wild, right? And y'all remember Acts 21, verses 23 through 24? Okay, I can throw that up on the screen. Okay, get Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named, remember Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Actually, (laughs) this is not... (laughs) Acts 23. Is Acts 21, 23 through 24 up there? Somebody give a hand for Brooke on the slide. She's doing a good job, you feel me? Shout out to Brooke. Yeah, 21, 23 through 24. It's not in the cut. Okay, we gonna keep it moving, you feel me? So, 21 through 23 to back up and refresh your memory. That was the time when in Jerusalem, they were planning that mission and sent out the four ball dudes, right? Yeah. Y'all, y'all remember that? You tracking with me? Yeah. So I was thinking, this, this is what has struck me. Why is there four ball dudes for to make everything all right? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, no shade to Deacon Mac. You know what I'm saying? No shade <laughs> to uh, seeing Pastor Josh, Elder Hoxmo, you feel me? Shout out to y'all. And to any cleanly shaven gentleman in the house this morning, but I said, Whoa! Whenever there is a detail repeated in a passage, it's important to note it and stop and think. Right? So why is this theme of four here again? And this is what I wanted to point you out to see the connection to this, this account of Peter in Acts eleven twenty-seven. So now you can jump back to that for me. Appreciate you. You feel me? Um, so now, and this is, this is now talking about the Peter account, right? This is the parallel. In these days, the prophets, when the seven day, Oh, you can jump back to the other one, actually. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then, one of them named Agabus, so this is the Agabus guy, stood up and foretold by the Spirit there'd be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to their brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, who we know as Paul. And about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread, right? And when he sees him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to what? Four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He didn't know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought it was a vision. He thought he was dreaming. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, He said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So a miracle happens. Even though the opposite was planned, this same imprisonment with this theme of four squad soldiers happens utilizing manpower. But Peter escapes. And when we parallel this with the present text of today in Acts 21, verse nine through 11, y'all remember that he had what? who prophesied? While we were staying for many days, a prophet named who came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. Y'all remembering this now. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Wow. So we have this same dude, Agabus, and four women prophets led by the Spirit. Luke, as a writer, is repeating the chorus, the hook, that has been sung throughout Acts, which is that the Spirit is expanding the mission of God outside of the traditional understandings. In contrast, actually, to the believers in Jerusalem, all throughout this previous scene in Acts, Paul's going up to Jerusalem and the Spirit is mentioned to be at work. Even though they're urging him to do something different, the Spirit is mentioned. And the fact of four married daughters wholly devoted to ministry Recognizes influential leaders of the time is in contrast to the four men who for some reason or another, right, it said they need to be purified in the flesh. Emphasizing the spirit is not working in fear of the norms of society, right? And as I started looking more into it, this, this common theme of four reiterates the theme of divine timing, This reference to the fourth day of creation in which God brought the sun, the moon, and the stars into existence. Luke is drawing on this Hebrew understanding that whatever is about to happen cannot be stopped because it is the will of the Lord, including this detail of contrasting the four women with the four men. And to be 100 is even wilder. That the Spirit is mentioned among the Gentile believers in Acts twenty-one four through eleven. But when we came to this plan, the believers in Jerusalem scheming, right? They're trying to figure out how to get Paul, maybe stop stop the Jews being as mad. The Spirit isn't even mentioned in that passage, right? And so this idea is solely leaning on the power and rituals of what has worked in the past by these four men. Doesn't seem like it'll work. Just the way those four squads of soldiers couldn't hold Peter in jail, these four bar bros couldn't stop what the spirit was leading Paul towards. And the spirit will not be stopped by fear. The spirit will not be stopped by fear. Nope. But how do we recognize when we are seen and listening to fear instead of the spirit. Well, we look so far at the spirit heavily at work in acts, right? And I'm sure we can look, look at it in our own lives at times when we feel convinced of the spirit's presence. Moments of reassurance, unexplainable signs of hope. If you ever have this peace about you despite your situations, maybe it's been... To other people, right? Maybe other people have encouraged you and reminded you that, hey, you are still God's no matter what happens in your life. It convinces you of security and sometimes tangible feelings. But I actually think the best way to reverse engineer this process is for us to focus on fear. Fear. Right? What is fear? And what it looks like. And this is exactly where we land in the last scene of our text for today. Y'all still with me? Shout amen. amen. Shout amen. amen. Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 27 through 30. When the seven days were almost complete, and this is Paul with those four ball bros, you feel me? The Jews from Asia. Seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. That's crazy, right? Now, it's important to peep here that the Jews from Asia, it's not even identifying them by the Spirit, so we're not assuming these are believers, correct, but rather primarily by their Jewishness, their heritage. And this is a crucial piece to note. Because we got to understand, Jews in this time, they're under Roman rule. The Romans are oppressing the Jews, and they're in captivity under diaspora. So with them being scattered, Jews from Asia, a lot of them, these observances of the law, these traditions, of course, their religious devotion, but also this is their culture. They're trying to preserve a sense of self, a sense of direction, belonging in history, right? They don't want to lose that collective power as a people, but also the powers that be probably don't want that because it's going to cause a fuss and they're able to oppress them a lot easier if they're comfortable with their current power, even if that power isn't of the spirit. So Paul being in town is bringing a message that threatens this current power and freedom that these Jews in Jerusalem had. And it doesn't matter how much you may try to please people afraid, they still going to be afraid, amen? No matter how much assimilating and shucking and jiving that we do, fear, if not named, will eventually manifest in new ways and new systems. Fear, if not named, will eventually manifest in new ways in new systems and it's fear that drives these Jews to several actions right We see it starts out in verse 27 verse 27 said okay so this is 31 well basically they see and then stir up the crowd and then they lay hands on him right when the seven days complete they see him in the temple, then they stirred up the crowd, and then they lay hands on them. So it manifests into lying and making assumptions when you're afraid. And then in verse 28, what, what, they, what are they saying? Help, look, look He's teaching everyone everywhere against the people in the law in this place. They ain't even talked to him yet. They didn't even ask him what he was doing in the cut. And he said, moreover, he brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. What did verse 29 say? They previously seen one dude with him. And they said he brought these Greeks in the... When somebody's capping, this is what happens when there's fear. This is what happens when you're afraid. So they started stirring up a crowd. These are the signs when we operate and we start to see the difference between those believers, right? In the previous passage, they may have been afraid in interpreting the Spirit's warnings the wrong way that Paul shouldn't go gone to Jerusalem. But at the end of the day, what happened? They agreed the Lord will be done. Remember? And waited for what the Spirit was actually saying. So it's possible to walk in the Spirit and still feel fearful and anxious. Often we think it's more spiritual not to show emotions and stuff them inside, but that's not the truth. Over and over, we saw them urging Paul, weeping, begging him not to go, but what they chose to do with that fear is entrusted to the spirit rather than the flesh. But in the flesh, fear doesn't know patience. Fear doesn't allow space for process. Fear is jumping to conclusions. How many of us know this is true in conflict, right? When we're motivated by fear, we can jump to conclusions. We can make assumptions. Rather than wait to see what is really happening or being said. And when we look at the passage, these Jews are clearly motivated by fear. In fact, this fear escalates into telling others, right? Instead of, like I said, just asking Paul, yo, what's good? What does it say in verse 29? Seeing him stirred up the whole crowd. And this is the biggest temptation with fear. When we're afraid, we want others to join us in our conclusions and assumptions. So what happens? We go about and we start gossiping about a person to get people on our side. Now there's a healthy balance between venting to process things for yourself with trusted friends or counsel, but this is not the approach of fear at all. They see him, they stir up the crowd, and fear escalates into violence. It says they lay hands on him. And before you know it, we're in verse 30, Acts 21, 30. Then all the city was stirred up from from Jews in Asia to a crowd to all the city. Fear expands too. And we're seeking to kill him. They're protecting their power at all costs. And then in verse 31 as well, now we see word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. This is why they didn't want him to go to Jerusalem. They knew how these folk act. Acts 21, 32 through 36, and the tribune is kind of like the chief of police of the area, right? So let's peep the ruling authority's response, Acts 21 32 through 36. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. He's trying to establish order, right? Some in the crowd were shouting one thing some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out a way with him, better yet kill him. Now peep this because this Is even wilder. The boys in blue step in. And some of us may read this passage and say, wow, thank God some some type of authority was there to step in, right? They're just doing their job to keep the peace and maintain order. This is a worldview that is dominant in our current society and train of thought. But it's not one that is consistent with the worldview of the spirit. What does the text say? They saw the police and stopped beating Paul. And what did the police do? The state responded with violence. The Jews, they had learned this pattern from somewhere. And it was from their oppressors. Instead of tending to the wounds of a beating man, almost killed, what happened? This officer came up and arrested him. And order him bound with two chains. How? But what adds insult to injury is the next step. He inquires who he is and what he has done. Right? Have we read mission yet of asking how Paul is? He's almost, he's bloody. He's almost beaten to death. Did we see them ask that? Did we see them tend to his wounds or ask for healers? We didn't see that in the text. But this is how most believers can read the text today and apply it. It says he went to the shouting crowds to learn the facts, actually. Not assist a nearly beaten to death killed man. But it's easy for American Christians to look at the end of the passage and say at least, wow, This tribune was in the right because he carried Paul away from the violence and sought to maintain order. No, the tribune is complicit in the evil taking place. The interest of this tribune is to maintain order for the Romans and protect their power. So much so that the response to the body already inflicted by violence is to oppress more violence. They arrest him and insult his mind and intelligence by asking what he's done to deserve this oppression. What has he done? What has the crowd done? And worse than that, the tribune does what? He listens to the very crowd that almost killed him. And it's here where the word became alive for me. Because I realize a lot of believers in this land do not take cues from the spirit, but from fear. Over the last year alone, I've had to ask myself, how do you hear a black man choked out for eight minutes and 46 seconds and ask, what has he done? How do you hear of a black woman shot Five times in her own apartment and ask, what has she done? And how do you hear of six Asian women killed and have to ask, what did they do to deserve this? These are not questions of a heart submitted to God's spirit. But one controlled by fear and protecting the interests of current power. And it's clear in this land, white supremacy is the power that causes hearts to ask first for the facts rather than question these authorities. And the sick contradiction is people twist Paul's very own words against him in Romans 13, 1 through 5. I don't know if y'all have heard this before, Romans 13, 1 through 5. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. But here's the distinction that author Esau McCulley calls to attention in his book, reading while black, that authorities instituted by God will not strike fear in the hearts of the innocent. But for those with the lens to protect white supremacy, this scripture is twisted to say respect and never question authority that does does strike fear in the hearts of the innocent. The Roman tribune clearly did not submit to God's design because it struck someone who was innocent and reacted out of fear. In the same way, this unholy marriage to the idea that the state and police are right in all instances and they must do whatever it takes to protect order is evil and motivated by fear. The word here never cosigns this American lie. And many of us can drink the Kool-Aid thinking that officers and government authorities hold ultimate power by God and cannot be held accountable. Instead, we turn our attention to the victims of oppression. Right? We follow the tribune steps in asking the crowds who are inciting violence upon black and brown bodies, what have they done to deserve oppression? And for Christians in America... It's all done to protect white people's feelings of comfort and safety. So for some on the surface reading this text, if your inclination was to side with the tribune or clear his name because he was trying to protect and maintain order, whiteness has played a major role in shaping your theology. So much so that you overlook the violence that he contributed to by arresting an already beaten-to-death image-bearer of God and questioning him rather than seeking to treat and protect him. And this fear of the norm and order being lost extends also to the oppressed, wishing to please the majority like so many of the Jews in the crowd. Right, the Jews in the crowd, they were also under oppression, but they submitted to Roman rule that oppressed the very spirit of God. The very man that carried the spirit of God, they oppressed by clinging to their power. It's a violent vindication of this tribune, one that shrinks the spirit and favors fear. The way to walk in the spirit Instead of fear, is to recognize our role in acting out of fear and take responsibility for it. This scene is not a foreign one. In fact, as you know, it's Palm Sunday today, right? A man, a man named Jesus, somebody say Jesus, Jesus Jesus was taken to task for our fears. It's often in communities and circles like this church body as well, where we can see ourselves in the role of Pilate in the crucifixion of Jesus and the innocent. If you're not familiar with Pilate, he was a power figure, right? He sought to be neutral and maintain order and norms in order to please the crowd. But like Pilate, we can end up crucifying Jesus when we walk in fear of others in our family Jobs, work, or schools. Paul, in this account, is actually living what he writes in Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul is beginning to mirror the sufferings of Christ up until the crucifixion. But even Jesus in the garden, before he entered great suffering and pain, expressed his feelings of anxiety before God. Matthew 26, 39. And going a little farther, this is Jesus. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not as I will, but as you will. This is Jesus asking if at all possible the cup could be taken from him. But what's the conclusion? Not what I will, but what you will. And this is the same question before us today. With all our fears and our doubts and our anxieties, will we name them and trust God's will for the situation? Or will we walk, excuse me, in the flesh and seek to maintain power by our flesh and that of others? So the next steps I want you to take to walk in the spirit instead of walking in fear are three questions. If you have a phone or paper near you, I'd like you to pull it out. If you're on the live stream, tap in with us, grab a pen or paper, open up a document to write these questions down. And we're going to leave a little bit of space for reflection, too, for each question. So the number one question I want you to ask is what do I want the most right now? What do I want the most right now? I'll give you a second to think on it You can even write down the first reaction that you have. What do I want the most right now? For me, I want comfort. I want stability with everything going on with money, with finances in my life. I want the future to look clear. What do you want the most right now? Say amen if you're ready for the next one. The next one is, what do I fear the most right now? I fear not having enough money. I fear planning a wedding right now, things going wrong. I fear what other people think about the decisions I make. What do you fear the most right now? Say amen if you're ready for the last one. Amen. The last one is, what is the Lord's will right now? What is the Lord's will right now? These three questions are a guidepost every time you're uncertain if you're walking by the Spirit or walking in fear. You have to recognize what it is that you want. Not because your desires are ultimate or determine if they're good or bad or not, but to simply name what they are. Then you have to name what it is you actually fear. Once you are able to process and name these things, you are in a state of being honest before the Lord to ask what his will is. So many of us do this process of questioning backwards, right? We ask for the Lord's will before being honest before him. But this leaves us frustrated because we're not created to mask how we truly feel. That's why God pursued Adam and Eve in the garden. We're not created to hide. All the more, when you ask the Lord's will and then what you fear and asking what you want the most, you're ending the conversation operating in your own flesh and power. Begin by being honest with yourself about your wants and fears. Paul and the believers went through the same process, right? Rather than seeing it as a black and white immediately that the believers in the spirit urging Paul were wrong or out of place, we began to see that they were simply being honest through the spirit about what they wanted and what they were afraid of for Paul. But if you remember, they concluded with "Let the Lord's will be done." When we conclude with asking what the Lord what his, asking the Lord what His will is, we're not working backwards and being dishonest before Him. Instead, we can lay it all before Jesus, because He cares about your emotions and fears. Some people think God is against what you want. God is not a bad father that he would give you a rock or a snake when you ask for water and food. When we approach life this way, our hearts are given the space to transform into the Lord's will and desires. And this is also the same process of Jesus, most importantly. He asked, if possible, let there be another way. But he concluded with the will of God being greater than any desire, no matter how painful it looked. But this is not because suffering in and of itself is some type of good pleasure for us. No, it's because in all suffering in Christ, glory is the end result. Why? because we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So be honest before the Lord with your wants and fears, because this will grow your love for God. And don't despair if you don't have the answer to what is the Lord's will right now. The believers in Acts didn't know it at once or fully accept it until several days later. So also give yourself space this week to ask these questions again and wait on the Lord to reveal his will. Choose to trust the spirit instead of fear. Let's pray. God, I just ask that by by your love, By your grace, you would allow us in this very room, those on the live stream, to name what it is that we want, to name what it is we're afraid of, and not be scared or ashamed to bring that before you, honestly, that we will ultimately submit to your will, God, I ask that the people here, with their lives, with their talents, with their gifts, with their time, would you allow them to be honest about what they want from these things, to be honest about what they're afraid of, but then to end the conversation waiting and trusting in your spirit rather than trying to gain what they want by violence or by any other source of power. I'm speaking to my heart as well, God. Would you allow me to trust and wait in your spirit rather than trust and wait on my own strategies and tactics? Thank you for allowing us to be real before you. And I pray these things in your son's holy name. So be it. this time we're going to continue in our worship through song. So I invite you to either stand and